This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. The heartbeat of Saskatchewan is agriculture, and 620 CKRM is proud to be your source for everything ag. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with your host, Jim Smalley. And a good afternoon. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder. Honor to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com. And brought to you by Assiniboia Livestock for the most reliable and dependable way to market your livestock. Today we talk with the past president of the Canadian Cattle Association. Bob Lowe was a Canadian delegate at the COP27 climate change conference in Egypt last week. He says agriculture was treated in a far better way at this conference. We have more details on the Prairie Oat Growers Annual Meeting next week in Saskatoon. Global food security and gene editing is the topic at a Commons Agriculture Committee hearing in Ottawa. The farm weather is in its usual spot. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain, your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection. And brought to you by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. A Canadian delegate at last week's climate change conference in Egypt says there is a complete change in world attitude around livestock production. Bob Lowe of Nanton, Alberta, is past president of the Canadian Cattle Association and vice president of the World Roundtable on Sustainable Beef, based in Denver. He says the COP27 meeting in Egypt had a good outcome for beef producers. Well, it was uh, it was quite a place. I've just I've now got forty thousand brand new friends. It, it was huge. It seems a little funny. Everybody flies in in jets to a climate change thing, but you got to have a meeting somewhere. The end result. As far as agriculture goes, was great. In my view, it was pretty much everything that we could have asked for. Uh, they have accepted livestock as being a critical part of the solution to climate change and the solution to food security, which, considering a year and a half ago, the only solution was no livestock. So they've come 180 degrees, and that's, that, that's just nothing but good. How do they see livestock helping climate change? I think they finally we finally got it through to to people that livestock and cropping are a, have a symbiotic relationship. You can have a grain farm with no cattle, and you can have a cattle ranch with no grain. But but if you put the two together, then you've got something that really works well. Then you know cattle and food waste. Here we feed 25 to 50 tons a week of cull vegetables from a food wholesaler in Calgary. Stuff that would normally go to a landfill. The fact that a cow can take Grazing can take a commodity or stuff that's not digestible by humans and turn it into a nutrient dense food. Is they, they finally they're they're finally putting all the pieces together. So you see, cattle industry has a positive aspect in battling climate change. Oh, absolutely. You know, if grass is green and growing, it's sequestering carbon. The way you get grass to stay green and growing is you graze it. You know, in the old days it was bison. Now we've got cattle. They sequester carbon, they they take stuff, you know, the rumen's an amazing thing. They take stuff that's not digestible by humans and turn it into a very good source of food. It's their, they're part of the solution and not part of the problem. Bob, give me some of your observations. You you went to Egypt 
which was, you know, in, 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 in Roman times, the granary of the Roman Empire, but, you know, now they buy a lot of wheat from the world marketplace. What are your thoughts of, of Egypt and just general observations meeting with, like you said, 40,000 friends? <laughs> well, my general thought, we didn't get to see any of the, the Nile Delta. I mean, and that's the, that's the productive part of Egypt. We flew into Cairo, and from there we drove down the Sinai Peninsula to Sharm el-Sheikh, which Egypt has an awful lot of sand, straight sand, with nothing growing on it. <laughs> so the, the conference itself, I mean, you put 40,000 people in a resort town, and I think somebody said the town itself is about 70,000. So you add 40,000 to that, and it takes quite a bit of, well, it's a logistical nightmare, but they seem to have got it done. A lot of security. It looked like chaos when we first walked in, but once you kind of get a feel for it after a couple of days, it, it works. Bob Lowe of Nanton, Alberta is past president of the Canadian Cattle Association and vice president of the World Roundtable on Sustainable... Back to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. This portion is brought to you by Conexus Credit Union. Show your Conexus card for free admission to Canadian Western Agribition. The issue of gene editing came up recently as the Commons Agriculture Committee studies the issue of global food security. A simple definition for the process is that allows for precise changes to be made to the DNA of living cells, which could hold the potential to eradicate diseases and transform modern-day agriculture. The process is widely accepted in most countries around the world, including Canada. But the federal government has apparently put the brakes on moving forward with the process in Canada. This was a discussion between committee co-chair Tory MP John Barlow and Dave Carey with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. Last uh, spring, uh, Health Canada deemed that gene editing was safe, uh, but now it appears that uh, the, the Minister of Agriculture has had some cold feet and has now paused uh, the rules and regulation development around that. Uh, how important is that when we talk about um, you know, new, new seed varieties that again uh, help us in terms of food security but also food sovereignty in other countries that would be able to use some of these new seed varieties uh, for their own uh, uh, food security? How important is it to get this across the finish line? From two perspectives, the farm perspective and the kind of competitive perspective is, um, so Health Canada has, has released their guidance around gene editing for, for food but also requires CFIA to release the guidance for biosafety and for feed. Typically food is what we actually anticipated taking the longest. That's done. We are now, I believe, essentially sort of waiting for signatures for the CFIA two pieces, but it's there's three legs to that stool. So it's a critically important because what's actually interesting is uh, genetic modifications are very expensive. There, there, there aren't that many companies that do it. It costs millions of dollars to, to GMO. Um, there are only a few crop varieties in Canada that actually are GMO, so the vast majority of the acres planted uh, you are not. But What's interesting is gene editing is very inexpensive. So it actually, what, what we anticipate in the canola sector is we'll have more seed companies, smaller seed companies, startup seed companies that can use a CRISPR-Cas9 technology and to do things differently, which we think is really interesting is kind of the, the you know, looking at, could, could, could canola fix its on nitrogen? Like, could it become more efficient with nitrogen? More drought tolerance, more disease tolerance. So getting clear gene editing guidelines is good for farmers. It's good for Canadian innovation. We'll also see probably more startup companies 
companies. In Canada, there's over 200 seed companies alone, and we're a relatively small global market. But what is also interesting is that these will also potentially knock on environmental benefits as well. So getting that across the finish line, uh, the rest of the world is there with the exception of the EU. Argentina, Brazil, South America, the U.S., Australia have clear guidance when it comes to how do I take a product from R&D to commercialization. Uh, we just need that clearly spelt out for the company so they can invest here in Canada. So farmer, canola farmers, have more options when they go to their local retailer of what they want to buy. That's Dave Carey with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamp's Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Email advertising at realagriculture.com to learn more about this unique keynote opportunity. Jay Strovey with realagriculture.com, and I'm joined today by Leland Fuhr of Dairy Smart Nutrition and Beef Smart Consulting. So today we're going to talk about feed analysis. Yes. Let's start with the obvious why. Why? The simple answer is you don't know what you don't measure. So if you're measuring other metrics on your farm, you really need to know what your feed is doing and how it's going to perform for your animals. To take a step backward, when I'm talking to producers, I like to break things down into these simple categories. And uh, the first thing is environments, so the environments of your livestock. And there's three basic environments to your livestock. The first is the physical environment. That's just the environment they're living in. What's the temperature? What's the weather? You know, what's the stocking density of these animals? Uh, what's feed access like? What's water access like? You know, is there mud? Things like that, right? Or is it dry conditions? Um, the second environment is the social environment. And this is basically animal to animal interactions. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, say, cow to cow, but it could be one species to another, say a horse or a dog or something like that to a cow. Uh, the other thing you really want to consider though there is uh, herdsmanship or stockmanship and people to cow interactions because we think very differently so it's important that we get that aspect of our our business correct um, the third environment we're talking about is the chemical environment and this gets down to where feed analysis is applied but it also includes things like medications or hormone therapy depending on the type of animals you are working with uh, the importance here though, the chemical environment, is, is knowing what you're actually working with because you can get very variable results if you're just trying to throw things at the wall to see, see what sticks. So uh, you don't know what you don't measure. If a farmer wants to send in a, a sample for analysis, how do they go about collecting that sample? Yeah. Collecting the sample is going to vary depending on what type of sample it is and we work with everything from dry grains, you know, samples like that to uh, forages or fodder that can be dry or wet, so ensiled forages like silage, to even liquids, so things like molasses or whey permeate. Um, there may be other ingredients as well too that you want to consider with sampling. What we really want to get to when sampling any of these ingredients though is, is reducing the variation of your sample. So you're going to have a mass of whatever ingredient or whatever feed it is you're looking at and you're wanting to sample it in a way that you can drop the variation of what you're taking. If you take it from only one spot you might get a very skewed result that's going to set you off on the wrong step. Whereas if you take from multiple sampling points you're going to reduce the variation uh, with that. So what I would do for example then is as in um, let's take hay for example in bales. I would make sure that if we had a 
say 100 to 200 bales that I'm sampling probably around 20% of those bales. If it's a large sample, I'll just collect that together into one sample and then subsample from there in order to get a sample that's going to reduce the variation of what I have as we feed out that stuff. Another thing you can do to reduce variation or mitigate that factor is, is continue to sample as you're going through a feed mass if it is a very large mass just to ensure that your initial analysis result was accurate. In something like a feedlot situation you have potentially multiple feed sources depending on what's available and what's cheap. How often should we go about feed analysis? It would really depend on the type of samples, the, the truth of the matter, right? And it depends, it depends on the consistency as well, too. So when you're talking about large volumes, you can have, I guess, what qualifies as a large volume. I've seen guys take off silages and put multiple fields from multiple areas into one giant silage mass. And they could be different varieties of uh, that same crop and they can be different staging so in that case if it is a large mass like that you could be feeding it very well I guess the other thing then too is, is if you have lots of livestock going through it you could be feeding it at a rapid rate so I've seen frequent testing as much as once a week depending on the volume and how many stock it's going to if it's a single field with a single crop that was cut in a very short period of time you may be able to get away with one sample uh, representing that as long as you reduce the variation in the technique that you sampled it, making sure you're sampling it from multiple spots so that you can bring that average to a number that you can work with. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. It's your agri-weather forecast on The Source 620 CKRM. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. Mainly sunny today, wind southwest 20. The high today, plus 2. The low, minus 2, with temperature rising to plus 1 by tomorrow morning. Friday, increasing cloudiness. Wind southwest 20 becoming west 40, gusting to 70. The high tomorrow, plus 10, and the low, minus 3. Sunny on Saturday with a high, plus 2, the low, minus 5. Sunday, sunny, the high, plus 4, the low, minus 8. Cloudy on Monday, turning a bit colder with a high of minus 7. 60% chance of evening flurries, the low, minus 15. Tuesday, partly cloudy, the high, minus 15, the low, minus 18. Wednesday, partly cloudy, the high, minus 17. Normal high is minus 4, the normal low, minus 15. The sun rose at 8.27 this morning. It sets at 5.04 tonight. And currently, around the province, the hot spot right now, Maple Creek, at plus 7. The cold spot up north, Stony Rapids, at minus 7. Estevan is plus 1, Saskatoon minus 2. Swift Current plus 1, Weyburn plus 2, Yorkton is 0. Scattered cloud in Regina, it's minus 4, that's 25 Fahrenheit. Winds are from the south-southeast at 14. Humidity is 78%, the barometer falling 102.4. Cloudy in Moose Jaw, plus 1, winds are from the south-southwest at 35. Once again, Regina, scattered cloud and minus 4, that's 25 Fahrenheit. This spring, apply pre-emergent Edge Microactive Group 3 herbicide from Gowan Canada before seeding your canola, peas, or lentils. Maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions.
from Gowan Canada. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director, Jim Smalley. Time now for Countdown to Agribition, brought to you by Conexus Credit Union and 2S Auctioneers. Show your Conexus card for free admission to the Canadian Western Agribition. Agribition opens Monday in Regina with more than 400 exhibits in the trade show. As well, CEO Sean Kindop says there are close to 2,000 head of livestock on display at the week-long show. Yet there are some interesting visitors from stage and screen. We have Ian Bowen and Denham Richards coming from the hit series Yellowstone. So they'll be attending Agribition on uh, December 1st, which is very exciting. And uh, we've got meet and greet opportunities available at them, which will be going on sale through the CWA office on uh, Tuesday, November 15th. So hopefully the people can try and come out and meet some of those folks and come take in the rodeo that evening with them. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. Kindop expects attendance next week to reach close to 120,000 people. The week-long show opens Monday of next week, wraps up Saturday, December 3rd. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, mcdougalauctions.com. And brought to you by Pattison Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Pattison Liquid Systems expect the best. The Prairie Oat Growers Association 25th Annual Meeting will be held in Saskatoon on Thursday of next week. Chris Rundle from the Foam Lake area is the Vice President of Prairie Oat Growers Association and Chair of Sask Oats. He says delegates to the conference will come from all three Prairie provinces, as well as other parts of Canada and the U.S., and he says it's not too late to pre-register for the event. Uh, yeah, you can pre-register uh, as well as uh, register at the door for the uh, AGM and seminars during the day, uh, including breakfast and lunch. And then there's the banquet in the evening is, is optional, and either of those you can register for at the door, uh, subject to there still being room, of course. Rundle adds there's a bright future for the oat industry. Oh, I think um, oats has a great story to tell, and I think we've been seeing that uh, reflected in the number of uh, processors that are expanding their presence into the oat space. Um, oats has uh, a great nutritional profile. It's a great fit uh, for uh, what people are looking for in in. Uh, uh, ready to eat healthy food um so it's it's a it's a great fit for uh, today's consumer and i think that uh, we're seeing a great reflection of that and things like oat milk um expansion and you know gluten-free things like that um I, I think there's i think there is a really good future for oat producers in saskatchewan and across western canada rundle notes that oats are a major part of his crop rotation yeah we've uh, been growing oats here on our farm uh, since we started farming in 2010, uh, every year oats has been a, a, a pretty significant part of our rotation. He says the crops had a rough start this spring, but turned out quite good near Foam Lake. In our area, we did uh, we did pretty good. Um, we, despite it being a uh, off to a bit of a rough start this spring, uh, later in the year things developed out really well and we were actually really happy with uh, with the results in our cereals and oil seeds. Chris Rundle is the vice president of the Prairie Oat Growers Association. The 25th annual conference will be held on Thursday, December 1st in Saskatchewan. You're tuned to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today on The Source 620 CKRM. 
This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Degelman Industries. Look to Degelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. And Arcola Building Supplies, small town lumberyard, big on service. ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com Many Saskatchewan chefs are usually localing, are using locally grown food on their menu, choosing to purchase directly from the producer. Chef Rusty, that's Garrett Tynes, is the owner of the Harvest Eatery in Shonovan, about an hour southwest of Swift Current. I would say about 80% of our menu plus um, in, the, in the fall time of the year, it can be up to 90%, 95%, but being Saskatchewan, there's some things that aren't available year-round for us, like 100% of our protein is uh, from local producers. We work a lot with pulses, local grains, focus more on root vegetables, pickling, canning, those sorts of things. Chef Rusty's shopping list also includes bison, which he buys from Merrick Wigness, who owns a bison farm about half an hour away from the restaurant. The arrangement works out on many levels. A, the stuff he gives us is fantastic to work with. B, we're pretty proud of what we do with it. And C, I think when you can drive in and see those herds and then a minute later taste those kinds of things, that really gives you a sense of a, a taste of place, we call it. And I think that's a way to really tie people in with what they're seeing as they drive through our province with what they're eating on the plate. Periodically, there will be bison meat cuts and short ribs on the menu, but the Carpaccio appetizer is always available. We smoke it, lightly spice it, thinly slice it and shingle it on the plate at like a blue rare so you can really taste the actual bison itself. And we top it with uh, a couple aiolis and some house pickles just to kind of complement the meat itself. This summer, he was part of a chef's panel at the International Bison Conference in Saskatoon in July. He proposed one interesting idea to promote bison consumption. Some sort of bison food festival in the province wouldn't be the worst idea and, and easy to market. And you could bring in chefs from all over the province to create and showcase dishes. Ultimately, the consumer is the key. Chefs were just kind of the gateway. So we get an opportunity to translate and show that, but we need to do it in a way that Joe Public can take it and go home and produce that food for himself in his kitchen and then in turn go to the grocery stores or hook up with a local producer, his local butcher, abattoir, and find his own supply of bison. Chef Rusty has owned the Harvest Eatery in Shonovan for nearly 10 years with his wife, Christy. The possibility of a rail strike in the U.S. is causing big worries for the U.S. economy. We have more in this report from Gary Crawford. Concern grows about rail shipments and agriculture. After four of the nation's largest rail unions this week rejected a contract deal brokered by the White House. A potential strike by rail workers starting December 9th would, according to President Joe Biden via White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, be detrimental because of the harm it would inflict on jobs, families, farms, businesses, and communities across the country. Tom Haig of the National Corn Growers Association says a rail strike would exasperate current transportation challenges, such as low water levels on the lower Mississippi River. That would happen to shut down. Then all of a sudden we have our truckers available. Well, how many trucks is it going to take if we have issues on the river, plus the train, to try to get this product moved? And plus, we also got high diesel prices. If talks do not resume on a new contract for rail workers, there is a possibility of congressional intervention. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. A U.S. rail strike would also affect some agricultural exports from Saskatchewan. David Chudnovic is an assistant vice president of grain for CN Rail. We're very much heavy, heavy traffic flow east-west, but absolutely there is a segment of traffic that is a north-south flow. Think of commodities like canola meal moving into the dairy market in places like California and elsewhere. 
oat shipments into the processing market, milling wheat, et cetera. And that is one of the factors to watch over the next while in terms of what happens with the ratification of agreements and things that are happening on the labor front. So that is most certainly one where that is something that needs to be taken into account when you're planning ahead for rail operations. And we're just going to watch that very closely. David Shadnovic is with CN Rail. After severe grasshopper infestations in drier parts of southwest and west-central Saskatchewan this past year, there are concerns about populations for 2023. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture grasshopper forecast map shows the worst problems are expected in the Milden, Elrose and Eston areas. The map is based on adult grasshopper counts at more than 1,100 locations around the province. The written comments accompanying the forecast map says two-striped grasshoppers were widespread this year. Potentially economic damaging populations were found at 31 sites, with more moderate counts at 181 other locations around the province. Of the 1,134 surveyed sites, only 10 did not have any adult grasshoppers. The extended dry and warm late summer and fall meant good conditions for grasshopper egg laying. The biggest concern will be for farmers planning to seed lentils because the crop is more sensitive to grasshopper damage. Counts were very high enough in many parts of west-central, southwest and south-central Saskatchewan to cause at least moderate damage next year. Agribition opens Monday in Regina. Chelsea Norheim is with Norheim Ranching, which has locations at Saskatoon, Lloydminster and Moose Jaw. Equipment is on the move for the annual show from 400 exhibitors, including Norheim Ranching. She talks about some of the equipment that will be on display. The highlight this year is probably the Vermeer ZR5 self-propelled baler. Uh, it's actually the hardest piece to move in because we do have to trailer it down. We are also going to have a bale processor and a baler from Vermeer. And then we've got a couple really nice feed mixers from Supreme International. And I'm also bringing some stock trailers and some aero-equipped cattle handling equipment. And there's actually a new shoot that they're launching this week. So we'll have that at the show as well. Norheim says agribition is an important event and is a great opportunity to talk to purebred and commercial cattle producers. There's not many places where we can go and see the exact people that we want to deal with. We're your livestock equipment specialists and agribition is just the perfect place for us to be. Once again, agribition starts on Monday in... The Market Updates with Jim Smalley on The Source 620 CKRM. Market Update is brought to you by Freeze Tallman Lumber. Since 1956, Freeze Tallman has been your trusted building materials supplier for every type of project. Freeze Tallman in Regina and Fort Capel. And Farm Fresh Water, they make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Grain prices were showing downward pressure in early trading. Viterra prices for canola dropped 860 at 788.42. Number one red spring wheat went down 733 at 424.65. The rest were unchanged. Durham 498.50. Feed barley 362.87. Chickpeas 925.95. Flax 742.98. Lentils 752.50. Oats 279.32. Yellow peas 469.08. And feed wheat 289.56. U.S. markets are closed today for a holiday. On Minneapolis Grain Exchange yesterday, hard red spring wheat for December rose 11 and three quarter cents at 9.57 and three quarter cents. It's the Livestock Reports on The Source 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn Livestock 842-4574. Now the latest Livestock Quotes. Good afternoon. This is Yorkton Heartland Livestock Mark Report for the week of November the 23rd. 
Another huge run here with 3,000 head in the short, another 500 cows and bulls, a total of 3,500 for the day. Lots of cows still moving across the province. This cow and bull market selling a bit lower. D1, D2 cows, 78 to 88. D3 cows, 68 to 78. Cows are averaging 76.50. Good bulls, 117 to 127. Sales to 130. Bulls are averaging 115. On to the pre-sort sale. These good end feeder cattle selling reasonably well right now, but these plain and medium type cattle are selling lower. 400 pound steers, 315. 500 pound red Angus steers at 297. 575 pound black steers, there was 193 in this package, topped out at 276. 650 pound red black exotic steers, there was 113 in this package, sold for 258. My favorite pen, 710 pound char steers at 250. I like this pen here, 800 pound steers at 249. And 850 pound steers at 232. On the heifer side, 425 pound heifer, 254. 500 pound tan heifers, 264. 575 pound heifers, 235. 650s at 223. 710s at 214. 800 pound heifers at 204. Had some big yearling heifers here. 1,025 pound yearling heifers at 196. And that came out to $2,009. And the highlight of the morning for me was 710 pound Red Angus steers, they topped the market at 254.75. This Friday, November 25th, first bred cow and heifer sale. Sale starts at 11 o'clock. This sale will be a smaller sale due to producers canceling, keeping their cows and capping them out and maybe selling them as pairs in the spring. A good choice to all of those producers. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. And the latest Saskatchewan pork prices, $207.90 per CKG. Coming up, the results. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. Now the Resource Report, brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit 2ndlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid. The Saskatchewan government says this week's subsurface mineral public offering generated $3.3 million in revenue for the province. This is the second of three scheduled subsurface mineral public offerings for the current fiscal year. June 2022 sale did not receive any bids on the posted parcels, and no parcels were requested for the February 2023 sale, so this November sale is effectively the final and only sale of the fiscal year to generate revenue. 15 subsurface permit blocks totaling 383,000 acres were posted in this week's offering. 10 of the blocks covering 340,000 acres received acceptable bids. The highest bid was $2.7 million from Windfall Resources for an 84,000 acre block 30 kilometers north of Moose Jaw that's prospective for potash. The highest dollar per acre bid was for a parcel 11 kilometers south of Corrobert that's prospective for minerals in formation water such as lithium. The permit, acquired by NRG Land Solutions, received a bid of $41 per acre for a total of almost $160,000. The Energy and Resources Ministry says increased demand and activity in critical minerals like potash and lithium is leading to increased interest to explore and develop these minerals. The next subsurface mineral public offering is scheduled for July 10th of next year. 
On the markets, the TSX is up 95 points to 20,377. The Dow has gained 95 points to 34,194. Oil has fallen 6 cents at 77.88 per barrel. The Canadian dollar is at 75 cents even U.S. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune in to the on-demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. Brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Jim Smalley. Good afternoon. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of today's broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, following the 12 o'clock news on your voice for everything A. 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of edge microactive pre-emergent herbicide.